If you walked in sick, you're gonna walk out healed. Just stand with me. Walked and bound, he's gonna set you free. Just the mention of his name. Just the mention of his name. Just the mention of his name. Everything can change. Everything can change. If you walked in heavy, you're gonna walk out light. If you walked in weary, you're gonna be all right. Just the mention of his name. Sing it out. Just the mention of his name. Just the mention of his name. Everything can change. Everything can change. If you walked in down. Just the mention of his name. Just the mention of his name. Just the mention of his name. Everything can change. Everything can change.
On Mary's lap is sleeping We can't go back. Not this way. But this is the way that we came. I know. And it will take us directly to Herod. Just as he asked us to do. No, won't do it. We've got to protect this child. Protect him? From whom? We all observed Herod's reaction when we told him of our intentions to go visit this newborn messiah. He told us to return to him to report what we saw. That's what we're doing. It is the way that he wanted information, assuring us that he was going to worship this newborn king. Did you see his eyes? Did you see Herod's eyes? Mm, they were dead. He's not known for his warmth. Besides, changing course will add three months to the journey. Friends, please, listen to me. Those who came before us were shown the scriptures by day, of course. And then we have studied these scriptures. We've weighed them. We've found everything that there is to find. But we discovered faith. We followed a dazzling star for months. That takes faith. Yes, yes, that is faith, yes. But consider this. We are kingmakers. We have inherited the power to give authority and rule for generations, yes? Yes. And I believe that today, today, we have found the one whom I believe we will bow to. What child is this? To whom kingmakers bow? This changes everything. This child threatens Herod. Threatens all who worship power. Oh, no. We are not going to change our plans just because you have some uninformed I had that... a vision. Go on. A dream. Last night. I thought it was just fatigue settling in. But now I know it was a warning to not return to Herod. You might have mentioned this a bit earlier, friend. You are right. This changes everything. Yes, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him love,
Change me. 
Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado, in case you're new to us and I'm new to you. I'm one of the pastors around here, and my privilege today to give the morning message. If you're online right now, we see you, we love you. Uh, we know that you're out there, many who cannot join us for different reasons. We're just glad that you're participating with us. And uh, if you are in the video venue right now, you're my hero this Christmas season. Thank you for being so selfless along the way. We have Santa here today. If you, I got a picture with Santa earlier this morning. Uh, when you leave today, you can have Santa. For those of you guys, that's hard on your ears. Just understand that St. Nicholas was a real dude who uh, gave gifts because of the love of Jesus. And so we're redeeming that whole thing. And uh, we have Santa here for you, your family, your kids. And so enjoy a picture before you leave. It is the Christmas season, and I hope that you remember last year's uh, uh, emphasis that we had last year. Uh, when you look at your Christmas tree and understand the ornaments themselves point back to Christ and the gospel. Remember, ornaments started off with an apple being sin in the garden, uh, a wafer which represented the life of Christ, and the candles on the tree represented that he was the light of the world. All that you see on your Christmas tree today is all symbolic of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and hopefully you'll take some time this Christmas season in the midst of all the busyness and focus in on what is important as far as a Savior being born to take care of the sins of the world. Now, with that being said, we have Christmas Eve coming up uh, this following weekend, and we will do two gathering times. One will be at 9 a.m. and one will be at 4 p.m. Pick the slot that works best for you. Uh, it's usually a pared down uh, gathering time, so there's a shorter message time and a shorter length in total. And I just want to warn you, you wanna be here on time. Can you do that? Uh, maybe even be early. Sit with your family, get here early. Um, the opener is gonna be rather special. And if you come late, you're gonna miss it. And so I just wanna let you know, you wanna be here early on time. It's this pared down gathering time. Get here early, get here on time uh, to be a part of that. These three back doors will be closed as of the time we start. So uh, we don't normally do this. We normally leave it, leave it open for people to come in a little uh, later because we understand things happen on the you know, road to church like when your child you know, vomits or whatever. We get it, we get it. But that cannot happen on Christmas Eve. All right, those doors are gonna be closed at 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., and the only doors that will be open will be the side ones, all right? So you've been forewarned, please get here 
early and on time. It's going to be a special opener we're excited about Christmas Eve. Also, grab one of these cards and uh, give someone an invite to Christmas Eve with you. Uh, they say this time of year is the time of year that people are most receptive uh, to things of God and to church. So if you would do that, take this opportunity uh, to invite somebody. That would be absolutely awesome as well. And finally, before we jump in the message, this is generally the time of year where uh, uh, many organizations look to people who are going to be giving a year in gift. And if that is your rhythm, I want to let you know that uh, we will send out giving statements as it relates to what you gave to Cameron Hill Community Church or to the Lord in the name of Cameron Hill Community Church. Uh, the third week of January, we will send those out. We mail those out to everybody. So just so you can be expecting of that. And if you want to give a year in gift, that's part of your rhythm. That's what you want to do for the Lord. We need that in our uh, hands by December 31st if you want it to count towards 2023. Does that make sense? We just kind of give a little announcement. Everybody at this time of year starts thinking about how they can give back. Uh, if you would like to remember us, we would be very, very excited about that as well. So with that, we got to go because I got a lot, a lot to say today. So first thing I want to ask is, have you ever been paranoid? <laughs> Anybody willing to say there? Yeah, I, I, I struggle with paranoia. I suffer from paranoia. Uh, and now we think of different things when we think of paranoia, but it doesn't have to be all craziness. It, it can be simply, you know, I tore my ACL or I tore, tore my Achilles, and now that I've, you know, rehabilitated, I'm kind of concerned that I could tear it again. Or, or when I run, I run a little more gingerly because is the Achilles going to still hold through all those type of things? It can be something as simple as that. It can be something as simple as that. I, I, I've fallen off a ladder before, so I have an extra bit of anxiety when I put the Christmas lights up every year now because I, I remember that time when I fell off the ladder. Or it could be simply like, like I didn't get to my nightly skincare regimen last night, my routine, and I'm scared that somebody's going to notice I need a facial today. That was my attempt on you ladies. I was just trying to connect with all people. Uh, <laughs> my wife and I have this funny, like, you know, banter because I actually have, I have had bouts of struggle with paranoia. Uh, and it'll make sense in a second, but uh, um, I would think that I was catching diseases that are non-contagious. <laughs> you know, there was this one time where we were at the hospital together, we were in a waiting room, and, and uh, they have these little pamphlets on the wall that they should not be putting on the wall. And these pamphlets are things if you have like, you know, cancer, here are your symptoms. If you have tuberculosis, or all these like negative things that could possibly happen to you. Well, there's one that was like, if you have a brain tumor, these are your symptoms. Like, oh, that's really interesting. So I opened it up. And, uh, and I looked at all these symptoms, lightheadedness, blurred vision, loss of balance, numbness in your extremities, uh, headaches, vertigo. Do you know by the end of that night, I had every one of those things on that list? Every one of them. I'm like, babe, I don't, my finger, I feel it's numb. I mean, I don't feel it, or I do, whatever, whatever numbness means. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a blurry vision, I got vertigo, I have a headache, you know. I think I have a brain tumor. And uh, uh, I would suffer from paranoia. And uh, years later, I ended up going to the doctor and they did a scan of my head and they let me know that I don't have brain tumor. There's nothing. And, and that sounds silly, except for my father passed away from a brain tumor. And so you can imagine the, the uh, amount of paranoia that you think, I, I think I'm going to die of a brain tumor. My dad did. So I know it was one in a million for him. But if he got it, maybe I could get it too. Is it hereditary? Those type of things. God took that off the, uh, the plate for me. So I don't have to worry about that anymore. But sometimes we have our past experiences sometimes can contribute to paranoia. I counseled one person one time who believed that the, he was being followed by the government. And, uh, and he goes, what do you think about that? You know, I can see, I, I look in my rearview mirror and I see these, these, these government officials following me. Uh, what do you think? And I go, well, I mean, I suppose the government has the ability to follow you, but he ain't following you. I mean, uh, why, why don't you think, Pastor? Well, because you're not important enough. <laughs> like, you need, like you need to be somebody who knows something or has money or something for them to follow you. Uh, you're not special enough to be for them to be concerned with you. Uh, we all likely deal with something a little less uh, clinical than that, but there are tons of things to be paranoid about today. Uh, um, whether or not your boss is waiting for any reason to terminate you at your employment. You ever struggle with that thought? Whether or not your significant other has a wandering eye. You ever wondered about that? Whether or not you should expect tragedy to befall you at any point, you or your family. Has that ever hit your mind? Whether or not there's a deep state that's out to get us, or there's election integrity, or does the Supreme Court have a bias? Lots of things that we could be per, uh, uh, paranoid about. There's no shortage of items that can distract our minds and cause us to worry, even have anxiety, 
in our daily lives. Today our passage will deal with what I call the process of paranoia. And I think this message will be helpful to us by listing some disciplines, spiritual disciplines, that can aid us in overcoming these types of paranoia. What are some dangers of giving in to our internal paranoia? And what is the solution to this challenge? What is characteristic of losing ourselves to paranoia? And is there a spiritual discipline that can help us with this matter? How can paranoia lead to unhealthy cynicism and what should we do to avoid such things? That's where we're going today. And so um, uh, I'd love for you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter two. We're in a series in 1 Samuel. We're in chapter 22, which means we're coming closer to the, uh, third, uh, uh, the, the last third of the book together. And we're gonna dive in today. And the overarching question is, what are some dangers of giving in to internal paranoia? What are some dangers of giving into the maybe common everyday paranoia that we deal with? What is dangerous about that? The first thing we're gonna find out is it can cause you to think cynically, or it can cause you to think cynical. Your mind can take a cynical bent when you give in to internal paranoia. We're gonna see that in the storyline of 1 Samuel. Uh, in chapter 22, we'll look at verses 6 through 23 today. Open up your Bibles, get there. If you have a phone, get there as well. And uh, we just want to dive in and devour this thing. Let's look at verses 6 through 10. What are some dangers of giving into internal paranoia? Well, they can cause you to think cynical. Uh, verse 6, and Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him, there's 400 men with him, it's kind of, hide, kind of hard to hide that. Saul was sitting in Gebeah underneath a tamarisk tree, on the height with his spear in hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he give you, uh, will he make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? I'd love for you to highlight that, underline that. Is that why you conspired against me? Because you made a deal with the enemy? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is today. Then answered Doge, the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord from him, being that he was a priest, and gave him provisions and gave him a sword the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. We'll stop there. What are some dangers of giving into internal paranoia? Well, it can cause you to think cynically. It can, it can go, your mind's thoughts can go cynical when you give into the paranoia. And that's what we see is happening with Saul in this passage. David and his men, you remember, they were in a stronghold last week uh, outside of the land of Israel, they were in the, uh, the Philistine land, but they were a stronghold there. They were safe there. God says, I want you to go back. So David follows God's directives and goes back to the Israel territory, which is Saul's territory, which is actually rather dangerous for him, except for the fact that he has 400 people with him. Uh, he's not going there to try to do a war against Saul. He's just going there to follow the word of God. And so it is discovered that uh, David and these 400 men who are with him I've come back into Saul territory, and now this throws Saul for a loop. Um, he sits down with his, uh, you can imagine his commanders and chief of staff in their war room, which would be on a height under a tamarisk tree, and, and, he, and he has a spear in hand. <laughs> it's almost like he's going like this, <laughs> you know? Which one of you has betrayed me? Which one of you has sided with the other side? Uh, this is a uh, ominous thing for sure. You might remember that, that Saul, last time he had a spear in his hand in our book, he tried to kill David. So uh, this is very intimidating posture to say the least as Saul is directing this news or directing his, his servants on this news that they have found David and David's back in the land. And so Saul goes into this victimized tirade, feeling pretty sorry for himself and then he receives kind of an unlikely, uh, from an unlikely source, he receives some information. He goes paranoid in his mind. Um, will the son of Jesse give you the fields and vineyards that I've given you? Will the son of Jesse give you 
uh, uh, positions of authority like I've given you. And it's interesting that he would even use this phraseology, the son of Jesse. He's done this before. He's not saying David. He's not using his name. And he's not using other titles for him like the man who killed Goliath or the man who killed 200 Philistines or the man who was anointed by God. He, he, he's, he's, he's setting all those titles aside and, and pejoratively saying the son of Jesse. What is he doing? And Jesse was a mere farmer. You don't think that the son of a farmer can give you everything that I've given you, can you? You don't really think that he's going to give you vineyards and lands and fields and, and places of authority. Like, like, you don't really believe if he's promised you those things, because he's paranoid. If he's promised you those things, just remember he's the son of a farm boy. He's a farm boy. Can't give you that stuff that I have given you. Take attention to what stock David comes from if he's promised you anything. In ancient contexts, the promises of riches and promotions was common, a common way for the chief or the warlord to maintain loyalty and support of his military commanders. I've given you this. What has he given you? And if he's promised you anything, can he really give it to you? In his mind, he thinks more is going on than is actually going on. He's paranoid. Is that why you've conspired against me, he says. There's the paranoia. Whatever he's offered you, I can offer you more. And remember that he's a farm boy who's offering you anything if he's offering you anything. Then he goes into this more of this whining and all this, you know. No one came to me and told me that there was a covenant between my son and David. This contributes to his paranoia. Then he takes it a step further. And no one has shared with me that my son has stirred up my servant David into a murderous coup against me. Now that's a different paranoia. So is it David's out to get you or is it your son who's hired David to take you out? Which one is it? Well, that's what happens when you're paranoid. You got all kinds of things come to your mind. All kinds, different thoughts. And you take attention to all these different thoughts when you're giving into paranoia. Can you hear the whining, the guilt, the paranoid accusations? There are conspiracies everywhere in Saul's mind. And then, to top it all off, when you're given to the conspiracy thoughts or given to the paranoia of your mind, it sets you up to be manipulated by somebody who's looking for a moment to take advantage of you. I want you to see this back in verse 9. We'll put it back on the screen for you. Verse 9, this Edomite steps forward and gives a report to Saul. It says, Then answered Doze, the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse, even uses the title that, that, uh, that Saul used. I saw him coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ehitub. Uh, that would be in reference to Eli. We'll, get, that late. we'll get, that, get back to that later. He inquired of the Lord for him, and he gave him provisions. And he gave him a sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And so here comes this guy named Doge. He's an Edomite. And he claims that he saw David go to the high priest or to the priest. And that priest uh, inquired of the Lord for David. Now, actually, we don't see that in our text when we go backwards. So he may have been embellishing the truth there for a purpose. He claims that, that, that the priest provided provisions for David. Well, now you remember the priest did give David bread, but that's kind of like, um, that, that, that's hardly in-depth provisions. Gave him some of the priestly bread because he was hungry. And he says he armed him with Goliath's very sword. It's obvious that Doge is taking advantage of Saul's paranoia here. He is skewing the facts to fit the narrative that's already in Saul's mind. Ahimelech, the priest, knows where he is. He knows about the plans to overthrow you. In fact, he's in on it. This is treasonous. He gave him a weapon, he gave him food, and he inquired of God to bless him on his endeavor. Giving into your paranoia can not only cause you to think cynically, but can also make you susceptible to the manipulation of those who would like to take advantage of you. What are some dangers of giving in to internal paranoia? And again, I, I, I hope this will be very helpful today because I think a lot of us struggle with these things, whether it's on a smaller scale or a larger scale. What are some dangers of this? Well, number one, it can cause you to think cynical, and then it can lead to even more treacherousness. It can lead you to act upon that cynicism. It can lead you to act cynical. And that's what we have here. He gets faulty information, 
His mind is off in the paranoid world, and then he acts on it, and it's horrendous. Let's look at this in verses 11 through 23. I'll read. You follow along. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest and the son of, the son of Ehitub and all the father's house and the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king, and Saul said, Here now, son of Ehitub, and he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me that you and the son of Jesse, that you have given him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as it is today? And Ahimelech answered the king, And who among your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and the captain over your bodyguard and the honored person in your house? Is today the first time I've inquired of the Lord for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all that in the house of my father, for your servant has done none of all this, much or little. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your family's house. And the king said to the guard who stood, stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord. Man, highlight that, underline that. Can you imagine? Turn and kill the priests of the Lord is his solution. Because their hand is with David, and they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put their hand to strike the priest. Oh, they knew better. <laughs> Those are God's people. Don't mess with them. Then the king said to Doge, you turn and strike the priest. And Doge, the Edomite, a Gentile, turned and struck down the priest. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And and Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword both men and women, child and infant, ox, donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew the day when I saw Doge, the Edomite, he was there, I knew he'd surely tell Saul, I've occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, therefore, and do not be afraid, for he who seeks me out, my life seeks your life, and you shall be in safekeeping with me. What are some dangers of giving in to internal paranoia? Well, it can cause you to act cynically. It can act, cause you to act on these thoughts, and that act can be cynical. It can cause you to act cynical. So Saul comes to the priest and he questions the priest and questions the priest in line of, uh, what's your loyalty? Is your loyalty to me or to David? Uh, in Saul's paranoia, however, he has skewed things in his mind. He had convinced himself that the priest and David were in a conspiracy out to get him. He has risen up against me to lie in wait. He's just trying to take me out is the idea. And you helped him do that. The problem with this whole notion is that's not what David's doing. David fled, he went to another place, went to the Philistine to stay away from him because he didn't want to put a hand towards, towards uh, uh, the Lord's anointed. There was already an opportunity for him to kill him. He didn't kill him. The only reason he's back is because God said, come back. So he came back to honor God. But he doesn't have anything in his mind to hurt or kill the king. That's God's going to figure that out. I'll just wait on God. I'm not touching the Lord's anointed. That's David's true heart. But Saul is convinced that he's trying to take him out. And he skews things in a conspiracy in his mind because he, he acts on his paranoia. The priest, rather eloquently and respectfully, responds in a firm and yet respectful manner towards the king. And he basically says, hey, let's just think about this logically for a second. Can we just take a step back and just be, let's just be logical for a second. David was a member of your royal court. David was one of your most trusted men to be in the royal court. David is your son-in-law. He's the captain of your bodyguard. We know ancient times, king's messengers came with the power and authority of the king himself, and so they were generally treated well when they came as official ambassadors of the king. So why wouldn't I treat him well? And by the way, was this the first time that I ever had an encounter with David as your official? No, this is rather routine. How was I supposed to know that we, you guys were at odds? 
Like next time, email me. Can you text me? I didn't know. All I knew is that he's an official in your royal court. He's the most trusted of your men. He's your son-in-law. He's captain of the bodyguard. This is not the first time we've had many interactions because he's been an ambassador for you in the past. How was I supposed to know that you guys were at odds? Your servant knew nothing at all about this, little or much. Basically, what he's saying is I have a clear conscience. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Saul. I I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. And yet, regardless of Ahimelech's plausible defense, Saul orders him and his family dead, and then somebody is able to escape from that. Saul orders the murder of priests, but he has a difficult time finding his servants who will carry it out. <laughs> Can you imagine? Usually when you don't carry out the king's orders, you, that, that's, you know, you, you could lose your life for that. But on this one, the servant's like, nah, I don't think we're going to touch the priest, like God's priest. And, and I, I want to take some special time just to talk about this for a second. Spare the priests and the pastors. Be nice to them. <laughs> None of these guys are going to do it because they're scared. If we take out the priest, then God's going to be out for us. We're not doing it, Saul. And instead of getting mad at them, he goes, fine, I'll find somebody who's not Jewish, and I'll have them take out the priests. Ironically enough, Saul's servants knew enough not to kill the Lord's priest, um, and yet he was able to find somebody else to do it. Here's the other bit of irony that I think is kind of interesting. In, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God comes down on Saul because he doesn't completely fulfill God's command for him. He had told him in, Saul, in 1 Samuel 15, take out all the Amalekites. They're unrighteous people. They've done horrendous things. I want you to take them out, their wives, their children, and all their livestock. And Saul doesn't do that. And God comes down on him for not following the directive that the Lord had given him. But he is willing to do it against the priest of God. I'll take out all the priests, all their wives, all their children, all their livestock. I won't follow the directive of the Lord to do it, but I will do it to the very most godly people that I'm surrounded with. Huge bit of irony. So he goes to Doge, an Enamite who has no qualms killing Jewish people or priests. Doge kills 85 priests and their families, their livestock, massacres the entire population at Nob. And this is where Saul has gone over the deep end. This is an unspeakable crime. His paranoia has led him to disaster. But there's another interesting fact about this whole event. And that is, those of you guys who have been with us since we're at the very beginning of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and chapter 3, those of you guys taking notes, write it down, go back and read it again. There was a high priest named Eli, and Eli did something horrendous. His children were sleeping with the women in the temple. Uh, His children were taking the the choicest meat, and instead of offering it to God, which it belonged, they were eating it themselves with Eli. And because of that whole activity, God says, I will take your priesthood out. And if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 33, it says, only one of you will escape. That's how far this sin has led. I'm going to take out the whole priesthood except for one of you. And now we're looking in chapter 22, and exactly what was said in chapter 2 is happening. What does this reveal? that even in the most horrendous, horrible act, God is still in control. God is still sovereign. In fact, Ahimelech was the great grandson of Eli. And the reason we keep on seeing Haitzabi, Haitzabi, Haitzabi in our passage is to remind us to go back to the high priest Eli and his action. God is sovereign He's in control even when he doesn't look like he's in control. God is sovereign and in control even when there is evil in our midst. He's still sovereign and he's still in control. But to make no mistake about it, the goal here was to completely cut off the priesthood so that David could not inquire of God anymore. Fine, you're going to inquire of God and God's going to help you defeat me. I'll take out the entire priesthood so you can't inquire of God. But something happens 
there's one guy that escapes. And we'll read it again in verses 20 through 23. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, or Abiathar, uh, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abathar, I knew the day that I saw Doge the Edomite was there. I knew he would tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of these persons of their father's house. Man, I'm partially responsible. Stay with me, therefore, don't be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, and you'll be safe in safekeeping with me. There's one guy, one, the, the son of Ahimelech himself, who's able to escape, and he escapes with the ephod. We know this because in chapter 23, it's, he's going to bring it out. You remember what the ephod was? You're early in the series. It's a vest that they would put on. There's these little rocks or something that they would put into their pocket, and they would inquire of the Lord, do we go or do we not? And they'd pull out. God says yes. God says no. That was a way that God would in real time direct them. Well, here Abiathar is able to take the ephod with him and go to David, and the very thing that Saul's trying to prevent, that you would have no access to God, by, I'll take out the priest so you don't have access to God. Not only does he have it, he has the ephod. So there's only one person in this narrative who doesn't have access to God right now. Who's that? Saul. He just took out all the priests. And we're going to see later on in, in 1 Samuel, he's going to go to a medium because he's nowhere else to go. There's no one else to talk to. Well, in the process, David takes some kind of acknowledgement of his part, partly to blame uh, for this slaughter. Remember, he lied to Abiathar's father, Abimelech, in order to get bread and the sword. But he may simply be regretting that he didn't take Doge out when he had the opportunity. I knew when I saw that guy, he was going to go back. I should have killed him right there. I would have, if I would have done that, I would have protected all of the priesthood. If you want to read Psalm 52, that's a psalm that's like David's uh, uh, diary of his feelings against Doge. You just read it there, how he feels towards that man. If I would have taken him out, I would have spared the family. I would have spared the house of God. But because I didn't, I'm going to make sure that I spare you, Abathar. What I should have done to, to the whole house of priesthood and protected them, I will now do to you. I'll protect you. Stay with me. I'll offer you refuge. Well, that brings us to our big idea this morning, and that is that the solution to paranoia is to turn back towards trusting in God's sovereignty. Now, and I'll promise you, I'll, I'll flush this out for you. The solution to paranoia, to your everyday paranoia, is to turn back towards trusting, really trusting in God's sovereignty. And you really understand who God is and where he stands and how he presides over everything. That's the solution to your paranoia. If Saul could have just allowed God to be sovereign and in control, that's what sovereignty means. God's in control. He's sovereign. He's the sovereign one. He's the one who dictates all things. He's presiding over all things. If Saul could have just allowed God to be sovereign and in control, like let God be God and not require God-like control for yourself, then he would have avoided these cynical thoughts and these atrocious actions that followed. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. The answer to our general paranoia is to acknowledge God is sovereign in the midst of it. I don't know if I'm going to lose my job, but I do know that God's sovereign. And if I do lose my job, God's in control and he knows what he's doing. I don't know if you're going to lose a significant relationship, but I do know that God's sovereign. He's still sovereign if I lose that significant relationship, but he knows what he's doing. I can find solace in the master planner of all things. I may not pass this class. I may not get into this educational institution, but God is still sovereign. He knows what he's doing. He has a plan for my life. Not, I may not be chosen for the position. I might not get the promotion, but God is still sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing. And by the way, I want his will for my life more than I want my own will for my life. So if I don't get the promotion, then I don't want it because I want his will more than my will. I do want the promotion, but I more want what he wants for me or has for me. And so I'm excited about whatever that is over what I think I want right now. The solution to your paranoia, your everyday generalized paranoia, is to turn back towards trusting in God's sovereignty. I don't have to be worried and paranoid and have anxiety over these things. I know my God's in control. And when I meditate and focus on that, fixate on that truth, 
It can bring calmness in my life. It can bring me to a state of peace where my mind was in a state of paranoia. Let me see if I can put this another way that will be helpful in our understanding of this principle. Uh, The year is 1859, and the death-defying feats of one Charles Blondin has caught the eyes and ears of both Europe and all of America. Already an accomplished and famous tightrope walker known for his incredible aerial feats as he's performed many tightropes all over Europe at scary heights. He then added the element even of blindfolding himself during such feats in an effort to appear progressively more dangerous at every challenge that he met. It is said that an American promoter approached this European man and says, I dare you to come to the United States and tightrope across Niagara Falls. Charles loved the challenge, and after his fee was negotiated, he agreed to come and attempt the feat. It was arranged that he would walk back and forth from the Canadian side to the American side, back and forth. And so he tightroped roped 160 feet above Niagara Falls, and then he did it on a bicycle, and then he did it on stilts, and finally he did it blindfolded. At every feet, the crowd in Canada would go crazy, and then he'd come back to America, and they'd go crazy, and it's just people are just watching him go back and forth. And then the tightroper turns to the crowd and he asks the questions. Who thinks I can do this with a blindfold and a wheelbarrow? The crowd goes nuts. Of course you can. We've just seen you do this on stilts. He takes it a step first. Who thinks I can do this with a blindfold and a wheelbarrow and an additional person inside the wheelbarrow? Oh, at this the crowd goes crazy. That's amazing. Yes, we think you can do it. He goes, great. Who's going to jump in the wheelbarrow? Silence. (laughs) Not one person on either the American side or the Canadian side volunteered. You see, it's one thing to be entertained by something and a completely different thing to be bought into it. It's one thing to be entertained by something and a completely different thing to be bought into it. Watching or being entertained by a tightroper requires nothing on my part, but getting in the wheelbarrow requires a tremendous amount of faith and trust. Can I ask you a question? Have you been more entertained? Have you been more than entertained by the claims of Christianity? Have you been more than just simply entertained by the claims of Christianity? by the worldview that is Christianity. Like, do you really trust these claims? Do you trust them enough to jump in the wheelbarrow? Or is all this just a fun show for you? Jesus did something similar. He'd feed people so they could hear his message and they went, man, we want more food. He's like, I'm gonna cut you off of the food. Are you ready to follow me? You ready to take up your cross and follow me? Do you believe in this enough to jump into the wheelbarrow with it? You see, I don't know if your boss is is out to get you. I don't know if your significant other has a wandering eye. I don't know if you should expect tragedies over you and your family with an extreme regularity. But I do know that God is sovereign and he's in control of all things. And that truth is derived by your worldview, Christianity. And it provides the means to calm your soul when you're going through whatever you're going through, because he's in charge, he knows what he's doing. The solution to your paranoia is to turn back towards trusting in God's sovereignty. This is why believers, Christians, our brothers and sisters for centuries have been able to be burned at the stake, tar and feathered, drowned, chopped their head off. (laughs) You can take my body, but you can't touch my soul. And all you're doing is like, transporting me to paradise. They would sing as they're burning. That is a mind that says, I'm not paranoid about the here and now. I know my God is sovereign and I'm trusting like I'll get out in that. That is the solution to whatever your thought process might be that's bringing you down.
the world of your Christianity brings peace into your soul. Do you want to experience an inner confidence that can't be overcome by everyday paranoia? Man, I wonder if you're here right now, maybe you're new to this thing, and I don't know about faith, and I don't even know why I'm here. My girlfriend brought my boyfriend, I don't, my parents, whatever. I've never experienced anything that would say anything outside of naturalistic things is real. So if you're telling me there's a God out there who's there, and he's, how do I jump on? tell you, according to the scriptures, the word of God is that there is a man named Jesus, the perfect man. He was God, very God, and yet man, very man, lived a life that we could never live and died our death on our behalf. That when you would place your faith in him, believe in him, God says, I'm going to take all your sin, all your wrongdoings, all the ways that you missed the mark with me, and I'm going to put it on the sacrifice of Christ. And then I'm going to transfer his record of perfection onto you. We call it righteousness. The righteousness of God is placed on your account. So he can look at David and tell us, I know your past, I know your present, I know your future, but all I see is perfection. Because I see the blood of Jesus over the entirety of your existence because you place faith in my son. That's the starting point for you. Place faith in that God. And then you study the scriptures and get profoundly impacted about how that God is in control of all things so that no matter what happens today, you always take solace in the fact that God is sovereign. Even in the midst of difficult times, he's sovereign. Even in the midst of evil, he's still sovereign. In the midst of whatever is going on, he's still in control. He has to be. That's the very nature of God. He knows what he's doing. And he trusts him. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes with me. Are you here? We've had so many visitors over the last month. Are you here? new to this place, new to this whole worldview, ideology, are you here? I'm telling you, I don't know the state of our politics or, you know, the deep state, the election integrity, whatever you want to call it. All I know is God is real and he's in charge and he knows what he's doing. And I'm not scared. I could live in China right now, Russia right now. I don't need to be scared because I believe in the worldview of Christianity where it says my God is in charge as much as these other dictators think they might be in charge. Do you want that kind of confidence? Why don't you jump on board with Christ and see how he changes you from the inside out. Father, I love you. And I have to admit in my own self, I can preach up here with tons of confidence, and yet there's days where paranoia takes over my mind and my thoughts and my anxieties. Help me on those days to remember the truths of the scripture you don't take a step off the throne. You don't forget anything and you don't trip over yourself. You are God, very God, and we can trust in you for our lives. We thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you, Pastor David. Um, if you're here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe you've just been observing for a while, but you're ready to jump in, um, you can do that today, just like David said, by saying yes to Jesus, accepting his offer to forgive you, and pursue begin pursuing him and following him if you're ready to do that would you let us know you can go to the welcome counter on the left hand side of the lobby on your way out and let the people there know that you're ready to follow jesus uh, they can answer your questions pray with you um, if you don't have a bible i'd like to give you one and likewise if you're joining us online today as well uh, go to campcc.net click on next steps at the top of the page you can fill a little form there and we'll get back to you later this week all right, we're going to receive our offering now. This is one of the ways we worship the Lord through giving. Uh, there's three ways to participate, as you can see on the screen. Um, either online, on our website, by texting to 84321, or there's an offering box in the lobby. Um, we're going to show a video in a second. Before we do that, I just want to reemphasize again, coming early on Christmas Eve, but also inviting someone. We have cards in the lobby that you can use to invite your neighbors. You can about your coworkers, family, friends. I want to encourage you to do that because a lot of people are willing to come out on Christmas um, to a service and they're very likely to say yes to join you. So grab some of those cards, utilize those.
to invite your friends. Hi, Kim CC. I'm Marianne DePuma, and I help SERP in our high school ministry that meets Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. If today is your first time with us, we're glad you're here. If it's your second time, I'm so glad you're back. If you're a first-time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. Fill out our connection card and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby or scan this QR code in the phone's camera and let us know you filled it out digitally. Include your prayer request on that card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know at the counter and you'll get a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. Online viewers, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. It's the Christmas season. I love Christmas. There are plenty of events for the whole family coming up. So start spreading the word, invite your friends, coworkers, and neighbors to join you. Sunday, December 24th, Christmas Eve gatherings, 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. These will be identical gatherings, sweet treats, candles, carols, family photos in front of the tree, and just 60 minutes. Childcare is offered for birth to pre-K, as well as our rooms for nursing mothers and toddler room that allows you to view the gathering. Remember, Christmas is a time when the people in your life are receptive to an invitation to come to church. Grab some of these invites in the lobby and see who God places in your path. January 7th, Growth Group Signups. If you are looking for a way to connect with other people at CAMCC in a smaller scale for just eight weeks, this is an amazing way to do life together. Email lisa at camcc.net for more info. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. I'm Chelsea Hernandez, and I'm one of the ones who helps run um, our Young Families Ministry here at church. And in fact, today we have our next event at Violindo Park from three to five. So we hope you'll join us. Um, something that God really, really um, touched me today was um, internal paranoia. I'm, I'm a mom of three young kids. I'm married to a first responder. That happens often for me. Um, but just knowing that our God is sovereign and we trust in him and he is always in control. Um, I, I'm just so grateful for that. If you need prayer this morning, um, we'll have a prayer team up here after the gathering. We hope you'll come and um, they'll pray for you. Do not forget to get your picture taken with Santa uh, in the lobby. And then after that, grab coffee and donuts and be sure to invite someone uh, for our Christmas Eve gathering next Sunday. Have a great day.